This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. episode 437 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm Josh from Butsko and today we will talk about Sebastian Aller's emotional comeback in Borussia Dortmund's 4-3 win against FC Augsburg. We will talk about Yusufa Mokoko extending his contract and of course winter signing Julian Ryerson joining the Black and Yellows and we of course will also talk about tomorrow's game against Mainz and then uh, I presume also about the weekend matchup against Bayer Leverkusen. So a lot of things to talk about, uh, but luckily for me, I am not by myself here. I am joined by Matthias Zuk. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? I am doing well and uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Um, you know, <laughs> welcome back to the Bundesliga. It's been 20 years um, since the Qatar World Cup started and the Bundesliga stopped. And uh, apparently uh, the Bundesliga decided, you know what? We're going to start off with a bang and just have a crap ton of goals all weekend long. And uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, the Dortmund game was no different. But uh, no, it's good to be back, Stefan. Uh, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm hanging in there. I have uh, suffered COVID for the first time since the pandemic started, unfortunately. And uh, that is also the reason why we're only coming to you now and not with the preview episode, because I would have loved to talk about the Ryerson transfer and whatnot beforehand. But uh, sadly, that uh, did not happen. And uh, yeah, I still have a pretty bad cough. So uh, if there's a lot of e editing on my part in this episode, um, yeah. Uh, I, I have to take that one, but uh, it is time to talk about all things Borussia Dortmund again. And uh, I'm excited, <laughs> as excited as you can be, uh, <laughs> about this season. Um, but no, there are genuine points to be excited about. And I think the first thing we must start with is, of course, Sebastian Allaire. He has recovered from two surgeries and four intervals of chemotherapy after his diagnosis of testicular cancer and um, having him back actually in the game not just a friendly in the game against Augsburg and uh, having him on the field was a magical moment and uh, so much you know more important than anything of the sporting value this game had so i'm just elated to see sebastian alea back and uh, the way he has uh, handled this entire situation this disease um is just uh, it's it's beautiful to see and i'm i to me he's just a role model and you know i i think to many other people especially those who suffer a similar uh, diagnosis maybe uh, have a way to look up to him um matthias i'm i'm very impressed at at how he handles it how you know the the mindset he has to to approach a situation like this because it can be a very devastating um you know news that you you hear but instead he just turned around and said okay i will 
fight this disease and he won very quickly and as it looks very decisively. Yeah, I mean, uh, the term Mustaprofi uh, com <laughs> comes to mind. Uh, obviously, a German term there for, you know, the perfect professional. And he definitely carried himself uh, throughout this difficult time. And, uh, you know, my family, like countless other families around the globe, have been negatively impacted by cancer. Um, you know, two and a half years ago, my father-in-law died from cancer. And so, you know, it touches all of us. Uh, it's, it's not a, a one-off. I mean, I don't, I can't even think off the top of my head of any family that hasn't in some way been impacted by that horrible disease. And so to see him come back, show strength and, um, you know, seemingly not miss a beat on the pitch, it's it's truly inspirational. It's great to see because obviously there are millions and millions of people who do not have a happy end uh, that suffer from cancer. And so I'm very happy for him. I'm happy for his family that uh, he has seemingly gotten past it. Uh, and obviously I'm happy for Borussia Dortmund in a sporting sense, but also I think it just gives a general motivational uplift to the team. You know, it's kind of one of those moments when anybody kind of sags, slumps their shoulders because it's just not going great that moment in a game. You know, I mean, they can just look at Sebastian and Alia like, well, he definitely overcame a hell of a lot more than 20 minutes of annoyances in a football match. So I think overall, uh, it's great to see. So I'm, I'm ecstatic for him, his family and the club. Yeah, I mean, we could already see in the friendlies the sporting value that he adds, the uh, structure uh, <laughs> that he lends this team. You know, just his hold-up play alone uh, helps Dortmund out so much and uh, you can just see that he's a very smart player. And on the other hand, obviously, um, I have zero expectations towards Sebastian Alea. I'm just happy that he's here and I know he, being a professional athlete, he obviously wants to win as much as possible and to do everything and yada yada but I personally am just glad that he's around and um, helping out and uh, yeah you could see that um, he was a bit fatigued toward the end um, of uh, his what was it like a 30 minute stint or so but um, that doesn't really matter it's, it's, it's just amazing to have uh, a number 9 of his quality finally available and uh, as the weeks progress I hope that uh, he will find back to his old strength. Now, obviously, um, you can see that he is a bit leaner uh, because he was a very towering physique when he arrived here initially before his diagnosis, and obviously you lose a lot of that. Um, and I, I guess it will take some time until uh, he has it back. But uh, apart from that... Um, you know, there, there are so many positives and negatives to talk about in this Augsburg game because he's obviously not the only one who returned. Uh, Jamie Bino-Gittens, uh, who scored, um, said he was close to crying after the game, uh, after the goal, because he obviously was also out for about four months or so with the shoulder injury. Um, Giovanni Reina, uh, you know, also scored, and uh, I think we can talk about him in in a few moments, but um, I think most importantly, Matthias is uh, 
that this game was once again utter mayhem and utter chaos and uh, you talk about euphoria um while it's great to win a chaotic 4 to 3 uh <laughs> scrap against augsburg um it is certainly not what i had in mind um when you want to restart the season and uh, you know have a positive um, start because as much as it helps to have these three points if you look at the table Dortmund are two points off second place right now which helps of course um, but you obviously want to build this on the foundation called defensive stability and uh, that of course was not very visible on <laughs> Sunday afternoon in the Westfalenstadion so Matthias what the hell happened there and why did Dortmund look like the chaotic selves that they always look like so, you know, the interesting thing is, of course, over the years, Augsburg has always kind of been a little bit of a pain. Um, it's almost like Dortmund either blow them away or lose. Those, those kind of be the two options. But usually when it's very, very difficult against Augsburg, it's not a 4-3. That's the problem. It's usually like a 1-0. Uh, what, what was the, uh, wasn't it also the final score when Alcázar got that free kick in the final yes, second? Yes, yeah, some, something like that. I mean, there there have been a few. I mean, think about the, the Holland hat-trick, because I think that was against Augsburg. Um, his first match. And, and so, I mean, Augsburg has just been a weird side for Dortmund. But in this match, here, here's the thing about this match that really pissed me off. Um, Dortmund were in total domination mode. I mean, until, I mean, even throughout the first half, uh, despite it ending two all, Dortmund were the significantly better side. I mean, they had control, they had possession for, longest spells in that first half, Augsburg did, I would not even say little, they did nothing. And uh, Jude Bellingham then getting that goal. Dortmund had a few other opportunities that were pretty good. Uh, Yusuf Amukoko obviously making a bad decision in that moment. I think nine times out of ten, he's actually going to score that goal. And then um, I think it was Mats Hummels had a really good header from a free kick. Um, that went right to Gikovic, who was just standing in the right place. He didn't save it incredibly well. It just happened to hit him, and, and it was just reaction. And then Bellingham with an absolutely fantastic goal. And, uh, and yeah, well, um, and then, then, then Nico Schlotterbeck um, showed up. And the funny thing was, uh, my 12-year-old son, when he saw Schlotterbeck was starting, he's like, why is he starting? <laughs> Uh, because his last impression of Nico Schlotterbeck was in a match against Japan. So um, I, it was it was self-inflicted, to say the least. Uh, the good thing is, two minutes later, Schlotterbeck, of course, made, you know, he didn't make it disappear, but he scored 2-1, and then there was a 2-all um, just before the end of the half. When I, when I look at the match... Um, I'll be honest, I, the third goal escapes my brain right now. Um, I think of Augsburg or of Dortmund? Of, of Augsburg. I'm trying to remember that, that one. That too was a Schlotterbeck giveaway. Yeah. He picked yes. it right back into yes. midfield. Yes, and, yes. Uh, and, and, and the problem is he, he put, um, Zariochan in an absolutely horrendous position to deal with the ball in that moment. Uh, and you can't really do that. But if I go to the first two goals, um, the first goal, it was just really, really weird. 
In the second goal, I don't blame Schlotterbeck for that one. For me, the second goal, the blame goes to Rafael Guerrero, who once again decided, I'm just not going to defend today because that's boring. And uh, which is great when you're a left winger, not so great if you're a left back. And I think, I, you know, I kind of rewatched that first uh, Augsburg goal. And there too, you know, it was just positionally, Guerrero wasn't in the right place. And uh, also on the third goal, he was, let's just say, a little bit lax. And it just comes back to that same theme we've discussed over, I don't know, the last three years at least, that Guerrero was great going forward. He's a great, you know, creative player. He's a real shit defender. I mean, he's really bad at his actual job defensively. And when you then have Nico Schlotterbeck, who is still young and learning and uh, let's just say irrational at times when it comes to certain situations and then tries to overcompensate, which is something I've always talked about for years, that if players have a lack of trust in each other in defense, they will start making mistakes because they will overcompensate. Talk about Mats Hummels in a minute um, in this match. And that really led to that. I mean, that, that second Augsburg goal... You know, Schlotterbeck was caught in a position where, okay, he either has to pull out to the wing or stay central. He couldn't get out to the wing fast enough. And so that opened just that monumental gap in the center. And obviously Mats Hummels lacking the speed to make up for that anywhere. Some people say, oh, Riazan, you know, um, it's his fault because he was too deep and it lifted the offside trap. I'm sorry. I, I don't think we can quite go so far to blame the guy at the right back position who was actually where he was supposed to be. Maybe look a little bit more at the left back who wasn't even present. Um, and that's where that situation, that's where that gap happened and, and the rest is history. Um, I personally was surprised that Nico Schlotterbeck started ahead of Zula. I I wasn't expecting that. I thought Schlotterbeck would be on the bench. Hummels would be in his preferred left slot in central defense. And then Zula would be in right, uh, in that right spot. Um, I, I think Idin Terzic and his team will analyze this. And I'm... I'm hope so. It's such a difficult thing because on the one hand, do you bench Nico Schlotterbeck, who's a young player, and that could have a negative mental effect, or do you bench him and he's a young player and it has a positive mental effect? It's kind of one of those where you got to know the player, but uh, I I think he could use a break at least as far as the match against Mainz goes. I would definitely look at playing uh, Niklas Süle there, um, just. Just in general, just to give him a little bit of break. I don't really want to see Schlotterbeck Zula as a combo in that match, even though Holmans obviously didn't look great defensively. He looked pretty good attacking wise. <laughs> um, but uh, that's, that's that back line. There's just, you know, you've always talked about automatisms. Defensively, that's your biggest thing. And there's just nothing there. There's no cohesion there. Um, and. That needs to change, and I don't know how to change that right now. Well, here's the problem. I think had it changed, we already would have seen it, or at least it wouldn't have been this blatantly bad against Augsburg. <laughs> this is uh, what really is uh, what uh, 
takes a lot of euphoria, a lot of wind out of my sails because I look at this game and I see a, a lack of cohesion that is just glaringly terrible. I mean, a lot of talk, if you listen to the press conferences, is about the um, uh, lone number six with Charlie Oshan. And obviously... The second goal, if you look at it, uh, also, even the first goal, Ashan obviously does not cover himself in glory uh, for the second goal. Um, it's basically just one pass through the middle. Um, there has been, I think, after Dortmund made it 4-3, uh, Augsburg had a chance to make it 4-4. Uh, I can't quite remember who it was, maybe Demirovic. Um, and that was just a through ball uh, right past Mats Hummels, who was out of position and um where i don't even know where to begin but let's talk about the defensive midfield um because i think jude bellingham is obviously a world class player and this is going to be a world class player but uh, the problem is that his defensive discipline is still lacking quite a bit because he loves to run forward he is a box to box midfielder and he interprets that as he has the uh, license to, you know, go forward and uh, score goals, which he does amazingly. But uh, the problem is uh, the defensive rigidity does then suffer. And if your other number eight, if you will, is Julian Brandt, who you mostly put on the wing so he can cut and dribble to the inside in possession, which is really effective and creates wonderful one one-two opportunities against a man-marking opponent. Um, but if you lose the position, then he is so far out of the play that uh, he does most of the time not recover, even if he tries. And, uh, of course, the fullback situation with Guerrero, we have talked plenty about. Um, Nico Schlotterbeck, um, yeah, I don't know. He has a defensive funk, and uh, honestly... I would have said this last episode if there was one. Um, I'm always, always worried about Mats Hummels in a post-big tournament uh, period because I think we've watched Mats Hummels now for a decade plus and after a World Cup or Euros or whatever, the next half season, his form usually is more, you know, it's, it's, it's bad. Let's just say, it. usually it's bad. So I really hope that this time around it will be different, but the first glimpses of that uh, show that it, it might not be different, even though he didn't play this time. Um, it's just that, I don't know, something something always happens to Mats Hummels um, when these sort of breaks uh, appear. So I'm not entirely sure <laughs> um, what, to, what to make out of this. But um, yeah, I think... That overall, and especially if you add uh, Daniel Malen to the equation and uh, Yusuf Mokoko, that the overall defensive uh, cohesion of this team is just appalling. And uh, until Dortmund become more of a de defensive unit, they cannot be taken seriously as, as a team with any ambition whatsoever because um, I think that needs to be the foundation. And early on in the season, it looked like they understood that task, but uh, this Augsburg game um, did really, uh, yeah, make you wonder what they did during this little off-season part. 
And uh, yeah, while uh, working on your attacking set pieces is nice, I still think the number one priority needs to be the defense. And there is a lot of things that need to be sorted out um, going forward. But um, that all being said, there were a lot of positive moments too. I already talked about Brandt and his uh, dribbling skills. I think overall there were a lot of... Um, positive uh, combinations and uh, chances created by Dortmund and you said you know how dominant Dortmund were in the first half minus the two goals <laughs> uh, or the two chances they gave away and I think that is really true um, because Dortmund did look very dominant they looked very um, good in their positional play on the ball um, they had a lot of uh, off-ball movement which uh, helped and uh, of course they created uh, some really good chances and in that regard, um, I think we can also uh, start talking about Julian Ryerson because I think, especially in the first half, even though he also worked a lot in the second half, um, I thought he had a very positive impact. Um, Dortmund obviously have to rely quite heavily on their fullbacks uh, against opponents that just try to clock up the middle. And I think uh, given that it was his first game, given that uh, he only arrived like within that week, and immediately started, I think we can be very happy about that. Um, I don't know what your expectations are for him overall. I mean, he did choose number 26, which was Lukas Piszczek's uh, number, but um, first impressions, minus that <laughs> almost on goal, if you will, uh, I think we're okay. No, I I agree with that. I, you know, some people, I mean, t Twitter's a cesspool of shit anyway. But, um, you know, just hammered him. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you're just delusional idiots. Um, you know, blaming him for that goal is just, that's parking up the wrong tree. Um, also with the, the own goal, it was, it clipped him. And Stuart Robson said it during, during the match commentary, it clipped him on his right hip. And that's just a horrible place. That is like the worst possible place because you can't shift your hip fast enough. To, ch to change the direction. If it hits you in your chest, you can do it. If it hits you in your legs, you can kind of do it. But your hip, that's just a horrible place. Um, and, you know, I mean, long term, obviously he's a stopgap solution, but he's a solid player. Um, he, he pr he's proven that for Norway. He's proven that for Union Berlin, uh, who were much like me, completely shocked by this transfer. Um, but it, it was good that Dortmund addressed a position that they needed somebody in who could play fullback. You know, I think playing Niklas Zule there, even though Zule actually played quite well as right back. Um, but that's not where you want him for because you you need those rotational options centrally. Uh, Marius Wolf obviously had some injury issues and all the other right backs are just broken right now. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I'm positive by the transfer. It was pretty cheap. And he, I, he had a solid overall match. And yeah, I mean, he just arrived like two seconds before kickoff. So my expectations were really, really low. And um, he definitely exceeded very low expectations. So overall, I was I was uh, positive about that. I thought, like you said, Julian Brandt had a pretty good match. You know, getting back to the whole Bellingham, Echan, Brandt kind of trio, I agree with you. It was nice to see Dahoud on the bench for Dortmund. I think... Zaliochan would benefit from Dahut next to him. If you had a trio of Ochan, Dahut, Bellingham, I think you'll have a much more solid central core. 
uh, with great passing, great movement, good defending. And then honestly, if I was picking, I, and if everyone is completely fit, you know, Reus and Brandt, uh, coming in from the wings, uh, I think can, can prove devastating, especially with underlapping runs, uh, by, by players like, like Bellingham and then Alia up front. So I think that'll, that'll find itself eventually. I mean, right now, uh, the team is just still dealing with some key, key injuries, but, um, you know, the, the two players that I think, or the four players I think we need, we definitely need to talk about are the two that started on the wings, uh, Donya Mine and, um, obviously, Adiemi. And then the two players who came in for them and then scored in Gio Reyna and Jamie Bino Gittens. I think Donya Mayan actually played okay in the first half. He he worked, his work rate was much improved. I know that's one thing that we complain a lot about uh prior to the break, uh, which seems like was like at uh Halloween time. Um that Mon just didn't have a great work rate, especially defensively. He didn't try a lot. He didn't run a lot. And he definitely did. He got in good positions. He brought others in good positions. He had a really good shot at one point that uh, Gikovic did a great job saving. Uh, Adeyemi, you know, I mean, he runs a lot. His work rate is great. Also defensively, he'll go back. All too many times, he just runs into a dead end. In this match, I thought it was okay. I thought he did okay on that right side interplay with Ryerson and with Bellingham. I think he did okay, but it wasn't great. Um, Bino Gittens, it was great to see him back and to see that he scored right away. Given his lengthy injury, I thought that was good. Uh, he looks strong. He looks fit. He looks bulky. Um, he, he looks like he's put on some muscle. And I think that will prove to his advantage. I thought he got in good positions often enough. So it was really nice to see him. And um, I will leave the intro to Gio Reyna to you for now, because I think we all know that I have an opinion. Well, <sighs> yeah, uh, I, I don't even want to talk about this whole thing. I mean, again, had we had an episode last week, I think we would have delved a little bit deeper into the whole Gio Reyna uh United States men's national team kerfuffle, which it is just a fucking shit show. I don't even know how else to say it. Um Greg Berhalter is an unqualified moron as far as I can see it, and apparently the sporting director or whatever the term is in the United States men's national team uh, was like uh, his old buddy or teammate or whatnot, and uh, he was totally not hired on merit in the first place, which uh, maybe is the original sin uh, from the United States men's national team to have this guy in a position where he probably does not belong to begin with, and uh, obviously his uh, <laughs> comments about Girena while not naming him at the leadership, non-leadership whatever conference that was on the record, off the record, um, obviously completely harebrained. Like, you should know if you have any leadership skills that you cannot talk in any sport, but especially soccer, uh, about a player that you almost sent home because they were pouting after you told them that they had a limited role, which, again, is completely stupid, 
Because why? Uh, I, 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 I mean, I don't know the details and what exactly was said, but uh, we all know Gio Reyna and we do know that he, you know, he pouts. His body language isn't always ideal. So uh, if we know that, uh, the coach of the United States men's national team should also know that and should know how to handle his players better. Um, that's my first criticism. Obviously, uh, Girena is not completely without fault here, um, as we will also discuss in a minute. But uh, my gripe, first of all, is with the adults. And then, of course, uh, you know, the lashing out of uh, Daniel Reyna on the record, off the record, so that led to... Uh, you know, official investigation into a domestic violence incident, which uh, I don't know dates back how many years from Greg Berhalter because he kicked his uh, then girlfriend. Now I want to say it was like twenty this. years ago. Yeah, may, yeah, yeah. Even even further back. Um, I don't I don't know, Matthias. It's just pe- people who have uh, paid attention to this know it's it's an entirely unnecessary shit show, but it is a gigantic shit show, and it's also almost tragic because the Rainers and the Bearhalters were very good friends, very close uh, knit group. You know, they sort of grew up together. Um, his the, Their wives were roommates. They were teammates on the freaking national team, etc., etc. You all know the story. So um, obviously this, is, uh, this has many, many layers. Um, and of course, in the middle of this storm is Giorena, who, um, yeah, um, came out to apologize uh, for um, his um, behavior, let's say, uh, where he um, did, uh, yeah, as as you would probably say, pout. And uh, <laughs> I mean, there were videos uh, that you could see on social media where everyone in the United States were celebrating and you saw Giorena with his headphones on and just like looking very mopey. Um, so I can totally picture how it must have looked on the training ground and whatnot. Um, but just apart from that, um, I just want this whole story to go away. But uh, somehow it does not go away because when you look at the Giorena gold celebration, uh, this time around you obviously look um, at various signs he is making. So he's clearly communicating a lot of things there, uh, be it the Shush sign or then uh, the Memphis Depay celebration, um, where uh, he obviously references Bearhalter's comments where he said after the World Cup that they currently do not have a Memphis Depay who's scoring goals in the Champions League, which is again an entirely different, uh, entirely dumb comment to make. You have Gio Reyna on your team. You have Christian Pulisic. You have a lot of players that have scored in the Champions League. Christian Pulisic, as far as I know, has won the Champions League with Chelsea. So why would you even say such a dumb thing in the first place? But nevertheless, um, yeah, Gio Reyna had a had a quick uh, reference to that. I I assume. So um, yeah, I personally would have liked if Gio Reyna just you know leaves all that nonsense alone and. Uh, focuses on uh, the black and yellow team for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I think the United States men's national team has caused enough negative headlines. So I just personally would like to give it a rest. Um, but Matthias, what are your thoughts on this situation? And I apologize on the long rant, which was completely uh, on the, from the top of my head. No, it's fine. Structured it's, at all. It's, let's call it the pre-rant. Um <laughs> No, I mean, my opinions, um, okay, so a few things. 
I, I haven't been a fan of the U.S. men's national team fan base for about 15 years. Uh, I have little to no respect for them. So I'll just put that right out there simply because of the extraordinary amounts of xenophobia shown during the Jürgen Klinsmann era. Uh, Klinsmann not without detractors, faults, whatever. But the high amount of comments from supposedly progressive U.S. men's national team fans and articles that basically said all the players that came from the Bundesliga that had dual citizenship weren't, quote unquote, real Americans. I'm a dual citizen. Anybody who said that and thought that, you can fuck the fuck right off. Okay? So I have to get that off my chest right away. So that's one little thing. Second thing, Greg Berhalter. I thought he was a decent MLS coach, but I think the MLS is kind of a joke league, so I don't really care. Uh, he is unqualified to be a national teams coach. He is far too conservative, and he shits himself every time the United States plays actually somewhat progressively, and he shows that tactically. So I have no respect for him as a coach. I don't know him as a human being. I can't comment on that. I have absolutely zero respect for the Reynas as a family at this point, given that everything that I have read and has been reported, it's not just an investigation that happened into something that Burhalter and his now wife dealt with 20, 30 years ago, but it also involved basically a sense of blackmail. And the only way that can come to is because of what you talked about in the sense that the Reynas and the Burhalters were really close. So this is probably inter- quote unquote internal uh, information that nobody else uh, previously had any types of knowledge with, and they kind of worked through it. And they now decided to weaponize that because their petulant, self-entitled brat kid through a fucking hissy fit. And I've said this before. Gio Reyna, really, really talented. He's got a shit entitled attitude that I have seen as a youth coach in this country too many times. And the actions of the parents are reflected in the actions of the child. I've seen that too. Because you can't tell me that his parents haven't projected that type of entitlement on their kid. I don't care how fucking talented he is. Okay, if you can't pull it together and celebrate with your team, then you can fuck right off. All right. His attitude at Dortmund at times has been miserable, absolutely atrocious. And that's down to slumping shoulders, not even bothering to press in situations where a quick press would have meant a transition. Uh, nothing because he pouts. Oh my God. I didn't, I didn't do it. Uh. And that I cannot stand at all. And that needs to change. And some people just have resting pout face. And that's not their fault. That's just the way their face is. But with him, it is perpetual. It's kind of like Christian Pulisic. Every time he's on the ground, he throws his hands up because it's got to be somebody else's fault. And Reyna is kind of the same way in a different way in the terms of pouting. And when I saw that goal celebration and just his look at me now, look on his face, I was like, you little shit. I'm sorry. Why would you then do it? Why do you keep feeding that beast? Unless, of course, you're a bit of a narcissist, which I know a lot of pro athletes are. Uh, and they live in environments where that's created around them. And kids are a byproduct of parenting. And that's probably a huge part of this. 
And I just, I mean, I went out on Twitter and I said, I'd be okay if he's gone. Yeah, I'd miss the talent. And I got slammed by all the U.S. men's national team fanboys. And I revel in that shit because those people are just wrong. And this once again proved how right I was. He's extremely talented. Great on the pitch. If his attitude would mirror his talent just a little bit more, I'd be his biggest fan. But this kind of childish, petty bullshit, Dortmund don't need it in that moment. They really, really, really don't. And I keep getting excited. Well, the club say he's great, and the club come out and say all these great things about him. Well, no shit. They're not in the middle of contract negotiations. This isn't like Dembele or Aubameyang. We're trying to force their way out. You know, Gio Reyna isn't there yet. Just, let's just wait until that comes up. Also, we have to so, we have to say he does not have disciplinary problems. No, at all. he no. doesn't show up late no. or anything. You know, Jaden Sancho was disciplined against freaking Barca when we really needed him because he showed up late to a team meeting or whatever it was. Aubameyang had uh, a million problems. It's not that with Gio Reyna. Not at all. And, not you know, at all. It's 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 just it's just the pouting. <laughs> it's body language matters. And when you, yeah. you when you compound that in a game and you have other players on your team who, you know, have similar issues at times looking right at you, uh, Rafael Guerrero, and in the past Julian Brandt, even though I think he's really worked on that uh quite a lot. He did. You know, occasionally Bellingham can, you know, yeah. have that face. I mean, Daniel Malen has that yeah, face. Well, Daniel Malen has that issue. I'm not really picking that up with Adeyemi, which is which is nice uh, for young players. And again, he's young. I get it. I understand young players develop. They mature. Jaden Sancho, for the most part, did. Aubameyang never did. Dembele <laughs> never did. Um, and, and so we'll have to kind of wait and see the, the reason why I think, you know, so Bellingham has had his moments too. a young player. Um, I forget who it was, who he completely bitched out. Was it Nico Schultz? That, yes. That's uncalled for. You don't do that. You do not do that during a match. And I think he's grown from it. He's, but he also has a really strong family dynamic around him. That probably lets him know that's not cool. Gio Reyna, from everything I'm seeing from the outside, as a parent, as a former youth coach, and encountering these dynamics on a daily basis with my own kids, this is perpetuated from home. And so I personally am not optimistic that this will change in a positive manner. I'm a little surprised because Claudio Reyna overall was seen as a very positive professional, but it's always different when it's your own kids. And so I hope this changes. I don't believe it will. I usually I enjoy being proven right. In this case, I wish I would be proven wrong, but Gio Reyna is proving me right in this type of behavior. If you keep scoring goals, that's great on that aspect. Readjust your attitude. Become a little bit more mature, just fractionally, and we're good. I'll be honest, when it comes to the time that Gio Reyna will want to leave, because he will want to leave Borussia Dortmund, he will go to the Premier League. That is 100% his ambition. I'm a little concerned about how that's going to play out, but we'll have to wait and see. Well, here's the good news, is that we do not demand, <laughs> like, massive changes from Gio Reyna. You know, just a couple of things in terms of body language, just a couple of things of not 
pausing your play to complain to the ref, but, you know, just switch back to defensive mode and uh, get to it. And, uh, yeah, also stay out of the headlines for a while. Would, would be nice. Or, on the, on the flip side, make more positive headlines, which I think he is more than capable of doing because he has all the God-given talent that is needed for that. And, uh, I mean, apart from that, I think he's a really nice kid. So, um, I don't hate Gio Reyna. Um, I personally like him, but uh, I too have my gripes. Uh, but, again, uh, we have seen a lot of young players come and go at Borussia Dortmund. And um, I don't want to say that Gio Reyna is anything out of the ordinary uh, in that regard either. So, um, yeah, I think some maturation... Uh, definitely needs to happen, but uh, then again, he is super young, and uh, I don't want to make excuses for him, but uh, there's always hope that uh, it uh, turns out better than it's currently going, and I'm sure that uh, these uh, recent months, uh, you know, have done something to Giorena. Um, obviously, this gold celebration may be not the cleverest uh, thing to do it and give people at least the interpretation uh, that you make a reference to Greg Berhalter. Maybe it was something entirely else and uh, people just I completely got so. it wrong. But, I, uh, no, I'm not people, giving any benefit of it out there. People, people on Twitter were like, oh, he was just uh, holding his ears. And I'm like, my guys, there are so many different ways to hold your ears. Uh, you don't twist your wrists like that to, to push the fingers right into your ear just like memphis the pie like it's it's not that complicated and uh, if you have issues uh seeing such an obvious uh pantomime i, I want to call it uh then i do also wonder if uh, you've ever had trouble with uh realizing that uh, <laughs> a girl was flirting with you because man that's a very obvious signal um but apart from that um it it was a great goal. <laughs> and oh, it was a hell of a goal. Also, it was a fantastic goal. Talk about that because uh, Nico Schlotterbeck, uh, <laughs> for all that is good and bad, uh, the pass he played was Matsumils-esque to Jude Bellingham, who then pinked it to Girena with a nice uh, flicked header. And uh, yeah, the first touch, the setup, and then of course the, the strike, just magnificent. And Gikiewicz must have thought he was in the wrong movie because um, obviously this game is stressful for Dortmund fans but think you know think about being Augsburg and uh, they always just come back and then you know I think this was that was almost a final blow to them as well because uh, they thought that they had the momentum and psychological advantage now that they just made it 3-all and boom Gio Rayner um, with really world-class strike and it was just such a gorgeous winner and uh, yeah overall I think this game had a lot of beautiful goals and the fact that Dortmund scored four goals on an Augsburg side that played an aggressive man-marking scheme is a major positive uh, the fact that uh, they scored one set-piece goal and I think had at least two other really good opportunities to score off a set-piece of a header uh, I think Mats Hummels had one or two um, where he could have or should have scored um, is really positive news and uh, going forward, especially if the set-piece um, threat persists, which, you know, it should, um, is really good news because Dortmund often do struggle to create from open play. And uh, yeah, S speaking of Bino Gittens, the fact that he is back 
um, the fact that he's probably more talented than, um, than Adeyemi and Malen combined um, <laughs> really does help too. And um, yeah, his, his strike, of course, was uh, absolutely beautiful. And kudos to Jude Bellingham for ducking quick enough. Maybe he will call it up to the English dodgeball national team for that. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, marvelous strike. And Dortmund, of course, a bit lucky to get away uh, with all three points there. But on the other hand, I think um, they did play well enough to call this a deserved victory. And with that, I think we can move over to tomorrow's game against Mainz, which, of course, will also be tracking tricky, I'm sorry, not least because Jude Bellingham has received his fifth booking and will be suspended for that game. So, Matthias, uh, you can now put on your lineup hat and tell me how Eden Terzic is going to tinker that. Obviously, uh, I'm going to take the hat right off, put it on my head and say it's going to be Mahmoud Dahoud in there, but uh, how will it look anyway? Well, you know, if you're going to answer for me, then you don't even have to ask me. No, I I think that's the most logical choice there. Uh, you play Dahoud in there, and that, I mean, obviously, it's not the same player. Uh, the dynamic will uh, dramatically shift. I think because of that shift, I would consider starting either uh, Bino Gittens or Giorena over mine. Or Adeyemi, I'd probably say, yeah, I don't know which one of those two I'd, I'd rather sit down, um, or you just swap them both in. I, you know, obviously that's that's definitely an option as well, given that it's a English Woche. So that's something to consider. I think Mainz. The tri the interesting thing for Dortmund will be that I believe. Uh, the Augsburg match would be a very good, it was a very good uh, practice run for the Mainz match because I expect similar approaches in many ways from Mainz, uh, who will be very, very difficult, who will be aggressive, who will manmark. And uh, the key there will just be that don't break down in counterattacks. I think by having Dahut there, who will naturally drop deeper, I, I think you'll you'll close down the center a little bit more. As far as other changes go, you know, I think uh, we'll probably see more or less the same starting lineup. I don't picture Sebastian Alea starting the match yet. Uh, I think he'll be coming in in the second half again, would be my estimation. I think Mukoko will start. Uh, I don't see Modest really getting many minutes anymore in a one shirt, unfortunately for him. I do feel bad for him. Uh, that he really wasn't able to make any impact uh, since signing. I would hope to see a change in central defense. So I would hope to see Niklas Süle start, either for Schlotterbeck or Hummels. Um, probably I would prefer to see him start over Schlotterbeck at this point. Because well, traditionally this season it just has worked better. Yes. Zülle-Hummels yeah. combo was yep. the best one. Yeah, because then you move Hummels into his preferred left slot uh, and, and Zule would play in the right slot. Zule is deceptively fast. I think he's proven that when he played it right back. So I, I think that's the most likely scenario. I think Ayasan will probably start. Guerrero will probably start. I see no reason why you wouldn't have Brandt start. I think he actually had a pretty good game. And overall, he's been in good form this season. So uh, I think... I think uh, he should definitely be be someone to start. 
And then it'll come down to the fitness of other people that were on the bench, Marius Wolf, uh, for instance, um, and then kind of take it from there. So that's that's where I most likely see it, that Bino Gittens and or Gio Reina get to start over Mann and or Adeyemi, and then bring in Zule Forschlotter back, most likely. Yeah, yeah, I, I assume this is probably how it's going to look. I would not be surprised if uh, Malen, Adeyemi and Mukuhu start again just because of uh, the impact uh, Reyna and uh, Gittens can have off the bench, even though I think Gittens did say that he's ready to to play, but obviously um, he did not really play or, or participate in the entire training camp. He had some problems too, so I don't know what his fitness levels are. And of course, we've seen it with Jane Sancho in his uh, first impact season. He was more of an impact sub for half season or so before he became a starter. And uh, I personally wouldn't mind to have this option late in the game, especially against a side against Mainz, where you would have him rather run a tired legs than at uh, still fully fit Mainz defenders. I think this is just more helpful. And um, yeah, overall, just one more thought. Um, I personally would like to see a different system when Sebastian Allaire is at full strength. Um, I think that Dortmund would benefit by a 5-3-2 lineup. Um, I do like a back three with Hummels, Schlotterbeck and Zule if that's possible. That gives more cover to Guerrero and Ruerson. And of course, you also um, then have a bit more solidity in midfield um, with uh, I would play there Oshan, Brandt and Bellingham. That would be my three midfield. But uh, more importantly, um, because you have uh, with Bellingham and Brandt already two, you know, connecting players, two links, you um, don't need a true number 10. And most importantly, Sebastian Alea is a fixed point in our system, really. And uh, we have the benefit of uh, having two or even three players, if you really want it, uh, with Mukoko Adeyemi and Malen, uh, whose strength is to be uh, sort of a hang in the spitze, the, the second number nine that tucks in behind the uh, true number nine, if you will, and uh, that play their best football if they play off a player like Sebastian Allaire. And uh, I think that could be a system. Now, obviously, Reyna and uh, Gittens have not featured in it yet, but, uh, you know, they can be impact players and uh, starters uh, when the season gets a bit thicker or they just become better than uh, other players. But uh, I just think from a from a setup of, uh, you know, prioritizing some defensive stability because Dortmund right now, I think their biggest defensive struggle is actually their own build-up play and uh, losing the ball uh, by playing it forward and then uh, having it stolen immediately and then being wide open to a counter-attack. Um, if you have a backline like this, um, I think at least on paper there should be some some more uh, passing outlets where you prevent uh, poor giveaways. And of course, um, having Alea and uh, Mokoko, Malen or Adeyemi to play off of Alea, I think uh, is going to create striker tandems that are really, really strong. Now, the problem, of course, is as you can already see, you have uh, three players for the you know false nine position but you have only one player for the true nine position i think um 
Tessic wanted to create that uh, with Anthony Modest, but uh, let's be honest, that just has not worked out. So I think uh, in the next summer, Dortmund do have to find a better replacement for Sebastian Allaire and the player type that he is. Uh, you need a striker with some uh, hold-up play. You cannot um, just bet all your money on that one player and him being healthy all the time. So, um, yeah, that is just an idea I have uh, when I think about Dortmund setup right now. Uh, I personally um, have been formed by the club years and by the 4-2-3-1 system. But I think uh, considering how the squad is set up right now, I actually do think that the back three slash back five um, is more conducive. And uh, I would really love to know if, if you know want to talk to me on Twitter at Stefan Butzko or so, uh, what your thoughts are are out there and uh, Matthias of course uh what what your thoughts are on on this just in general as a as a concept now obviously uh Tessic has not really trained this and uh, I don't think he is uh, going to make use of that option quite a bit but uh, if we see it at some point down the season as an adjustment um obviously you know where all the credit goes to it'll be me then Yep, you're the tactical coach. I'm the motivational coach, obviously. <laughs> um, we both take full credit for anything that happened positively, anything that happened negatively. We told you so. Yeah, of course. So, of course. Uh, no, actually, I like that. I mean, we, we can't forget that, you know, in, in um, Alea's, you know, two stints where he was the most effective at Ajax or at Eintracht um, Frankfurt, he benefited from similar approaches. So, no, I think that's definitely something that Dortmund should at least look at, especially because, lo and behold, we have depth at striker. I don't I don't even know what to do with three of those people. Um, <laughs> yeah, Lars, I think, said that yeah. uh, he doesn't even know the last time that yeah. happened. I, I think, what was it, Aubameyang? Uh, Sergio, it was, uh, not Sergio Ramos, Adrian Ramos. Adrian Ramos. And, and Chiro Immobile. Immobile. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's been a while. And before that, what was it a Julian Shiba combination, or was it also? Just I don't even know. I think it was. Do we, to, do we have to go as far back as like the Rangelov days? I, it's it's been a it's been a long time. It's been a long time. So I think you should you should, and especially because Dortmund. I mean, all criticism we've had. Uh, don't want to have a benefit of okay. You got multiple strikers that could that are proven goal scorers in the Bundesliga. You've got three central defenders who are, you know, when they're not having a horrible day, they're really really good. Um, and you have options at wing backs also because then someone like Marius Wolf can really shine um, with his strengths. And and you've got solid players centrally. It's I'd be surprised if they're not at least looking at it now um just to keep options open and have some tactical flexibility and so that you are not entirely predictable uh that's always the the one one scare you have is being too predictable in your build-up play which okay that's there uh the fact that don't want to rely heavily on their left wing which If I'm Mainz or Leverkusen or anybody I'm gonna attack Dortmund's left side all day long all day long because you've got Guerrero who doesn't track back. You potentially have a Daniel Mann who doesn't really track back. You have either an erratic Schlotterbeck or a slow Hummels. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's the side to attack. Uh, now, granted, you are opening yourself up to 
possibly the most attacking side of Dortmund's lineup as well for counterattacks, but uh, that's that's definitely something to keep in mind there. You know, as far as Mainz themselves, um, you know, I think they're kind of where they they ought to be, that kind of middle-of-the-pack Bundesliga side. Their high-flying time under Bo Svensson, I think, is done, at least for now. But they're always going to be very, very difficult for Dortmund. Uh, let's just hope that for a change, their keeper doesn't have the greatest day of his life, which has happened all too often <laughs> against Mainz for Dortmund. Um, but this is a match that Dortmund has to win. I mean, there's no question about it. And then, I mean, they lost to Schalke. I'm sorry. If you lose yes. to Schalke, you must not yes. do anything against Dortmund. Just yeah, especially because Schalke right now, as we speak, are down 3-0 to Leipzig. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, Schalke will be relegated. I think there's no question about that. Did you know that they have not, uh, that they set a new record by becoming the team with the longest uh, non-winning streak on the road in the I didn't know that. They I have, had no uh, idea. They, had, uh, they have not won... 36 hmm. straight or they are winless in 36 straight uh, road games in the Bundesliga and considering that there was a whole uh, season in the second division in between that means their last home uh, no their last win on the road dates back to uh, November 9th 2019 imagine going four years or however long that is I can't do math right now my COVID fogged brain uh, <laughs> without a singular road win in the Bundesliga. That's a long I, time. I mean, Dortmund have, uh, I time. think, only won one road win out of their last six, which is also not great. Um, But, you know, at least they have two chances now this week to uh, end that streak, if you will. Nevertheless, man, uh, Schalke are horrible in ways I did not think anyone could be horrible because just look at VfL Bochum, who resource-wise, should be not far away from Schalke either. And they're doing much better uh, right now. I, I even think they're they're above the kill zone in the Bundesliga, right? Yeah, they're so, sitting 14th. Um, and think about it. When, when they made their manager change, they had one point. And now they have 16. So uh, they are going in the direction, in the opposite direction of... Well, I mean, Schalke are just... I mean, granted, they've overtaken Schalke, uh, but you look at Hertha, Stuttgart, Augsburg, um, and then my favorite, who's down there now uh, and kind of looking nervously at the bottom, is Hoffenheim. I think, um, yeah, that's pretty much where a Breitenreiter side should be. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm right. So, um, but I, are there more things you want to talk about Mainz before we get into a Leverkusen side that... Uh, uh, that was an interesting match against Gladbach. Yeah. Uh, just one last thing is the prediction, I guess. And oh, here yeah. is, I'm not going to make a prediction. I'm making a demand. I demand that Dortmund win this as boring as it gets with 2 nothing and go home. I do not want any chaos. I do not want any heart attacks. I do not want to age 15 years <laughs> in one half. Because Nico Schlotterbeck doesn't know which foot is left and which foot is right. So, it w I, I would appreciate if Borussia Dortmund for once could just come out with a scrappy yet professional win on the road in stinking minds and then go home, train for a day and then play in Leverkusen, which of course 
will be the next Chaos game guaranteed because it's Bayer Leverkusen and um, I think on form Bayer Leverkusen right now a little bit better than Dortmund. Um, I just talked about the 5-3-2 setup. I think they actually have something like that figured out a little bit better than Dortmund and uh, they are very strong on the counter-attack. They are very good at making uh, teams that uh, give away possession poorly like in Nico Schlotterbeck or against Gladbach on Sunday, like uh, Ben Zabaini. So, um, you know, he's looking to fit right in. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, to to punish teams like that. So I'm really not looking forward to the Leverkusen game. So hence, the Mainz game needs to be won because I have no expectations for Dortmund to do any good against by Leverkusen, considering Leverkusen's strengths and Dortmund's current weaknesses and their overall state so the only hope I have for the Leverkusen game is that Bayer Leverkusen will be Bayer Leverkusen and shoot themselves in the foot multiple times that all you see is a little stump dangling from the hip. Well, well, that just got really graphic. Yes, <laughs> it did. But I need to make a graphic to picture you the extent of foot shooting that needs to happen for me imagining a Dortmund win at the Bayer Arena. I'm a little surprised you're that negative. I yes. mean, it is Leverkusen. Um, I mean, with Mainz, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm gonna go three uh, one. Uh, I think you know Mainz may get one near the end or whatever, uh, but I'm not not overly concerned. I really hope Sebastian Alia scores at least one goal. That would be fantastic. Now, as far as Leverkusen goes, I watched the Gladbach game and I was very impressed by Leverkusen until then. I was reminded, oh, that's right, it's Leverkusen. Um, because I mean, they were, they, they did, came out of the gates, pushed Gladbach around, bossed them around three nil up and then it ended three, two. And honestly, uh, could have ended in a draw. So I, th I think we should, we should just give Leverkusen an early two nothing lead or so. Yeah. And we'll have them right where exactly. we want them. Make them feel comfortable. And then we win four, two. Um, yeah. I mean, personally, yes, Leverkusen are going to be very, very difficult. They're a very talented team. Uh, Florian Wirtz is back, uh, which is great for him. Great for Leverkusen. Not so great for everybody else. Um, I've, been somewhat impressed by what Xabi Alonso has been able to do. Uh, he's kind of reformed the team a little bit. Uh, I think they have some glaring weaknesses. I think their their wingbacks are strong weaknesses. I think their central defenders are major liabilities. I know, it's ironic. Um, but, you know, given where the strengths and weaknesses of both sides are, yeah, I expect this to be one of those typical Dortmund-Leverkusen matches where um, I'm going to age and not in a good way. <laughs> um, not like a fine wine, uh, more like a box of Mad Dog 2020 that somebody left in the backseat too long. Um, and and so I think, um, oh boy, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked by this being a 3-3, three, three, a 4-3, or a 2-5. I, mean, I mean, picking this one's going to be tough. But uh, being the eternal optimist I am, um, even nowadays, I'm going to say Dortmund are going to win this one, but it's not going to be... It's it's going to be fun for people who are neither Leverkusen nor Dortmund fans. And um, uh, what's his name? I want to say from ESPN, it's Moreno, who's their studio pundit, who's just annoying. 
Um, <laughs> Who you do know, you not find annoying though? Uh, you, from you just, from you're their just studio grump. From their studio punditry, there, there's a lot of the. I mean, studio pundits in general tend to be rather frustrating. Um, but I mean, he he says things like, "Well, you really have to love Dortmund to be there, be a fan of them." Yeah, I mean, that's that's usually how that stuff works. But um, you know, at the same time, it, it's it's. I, I say Dortmund are going to win this one fourth. Let's make it another four three because uh. why not? Um, I think a three two is probably more likely. So yeah, I'll say I'll say three two for All Dortmund. Right. I, I'm saying Leverkusen is winning the 17 to 13. That is where where we're at right now. I'm sorry. I'm not excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm by. I, this 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 does not deserve. It's going to be a clown show. So this does not deserve any treatment of any seriousness. Um, who is actually the current uh, Leverkusen goalkeeper? Because is Hadetsky not injured, or is he actually playing? Because this is. Usually the 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 one thing between Leverkusen and Dortmund is that our backline is not perfect, but I think theirs is even weaker. I mean, as long as you're playing Jonathan Ta, you are also not a, a serious outlet. And Lukas Radetzky just having an awful awful season. So um, I do not know um, if he played in that uh, loss against Gladbach. Ah, yeah, indeed, uh, in that win against Gladbach. Yeah, indeed, he did. Uh, so um yeah maybe maybe I do think that Dortmund can pull out a win because uh the goalkeepers will make the difference and Gregor Kobel might uh, save a couple of unquote unquote unsavable shots and Hadetsky will not and uh, Dortmund also have a few better subs with Bino Gittens um and uh, Giorena so um yeah the only problem is that uh, Leverkusen killer Marco Royce will probably still not feature in this game, but the curse of the ex Julian Brandt might uh, do this task for him. And uh, I'm also really intrigued if uh, Bayer Leverkusen can handle a late substitution of Sebastian Alea, because that uh, might change Dortmund's um, overall counter-attacking setup um, in, in a way that uh, might be too much for Leverkusen's tired defense to overcome. So um, there are a lot of factors to consider, of course, in this game, but uh, there is indeed actual hope that uh, Dortmund will just outscore Leverkusen and uh, I don't know if 17 to 12 or 13 is a realistic result, but uh, you said for the three, so um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I, I too expect a lot of goals and if not goals, it's just going to be a lot of comical chances that are weirdly being missed, but uh, this cannot be like uh, a 0.1 XG uh, affair. But um, anyway, one uh, player we have not really talked about yet so far, Matthias, a lot uh, is Yusuf Mokoko because uh, he did not really um, feature that much in the Augsburg game minus the one chance that he whiffed. Um, but of course, uh, this Back and forth drama with a million rumors and day-to-day -day updates uh, on uh, Yusuf Mokuku's contract extensions finally come to a close because he did finally put pen to paper and uh, the result is a contract extension until 2026. The uh, reported base salary fee is around 5 million and he, of course uh, it's now more structured uh, to performance success, I guess. So if Dortmund do well and Mokoko does well, 
he'll earn more in bonuses, and if not, then not. And uh, also, I think there was a 10 million uh, euro sign-on fee, and I don't know what the uh, agent got uh, also in uh, a little envelope. No idea, but um, yeah. I personally am very happy with this contract extension because um, it was becoming very annoying to read about it uh, on the daily. I also do think that Yusuf Mokoko needs to be at Borussia Dortmund. There's no better place for him personally to develop. And, um, you know, we can, of, of course, talk about the length of said contract. But I personally am con content with that. Uh, obviously, a five-year deal is what you're probably aiming for if you so try to secure the future of what looks to be a general generational talent. But on the other hand, there are also a couple of question marks be behind you, Sofa Mokoko, and uh, how and where his development will go. I'll be honest, I'll, I'll say that. So, um, you know, not paying him for the entire time um, as an insurance might also help I hope it doesn't. I hope uh, in the end, Dortmund, we're hoping they got a five-year deal, but it is what it is. Matthias, um, how happy are you with this decision? Well, I'm very, very happy. Uh, I think Sebastian Kehl has had uh, a good winner window. I mean, Reason was a, a good, astute, and uh, stealthy buy. And then extending the contract for what many have said is the biggest Dortmund talent in a generation who comes out of your own academy was was needed, but not at all costs. Um, and there was, I think, at the end, a little bit of hardball. And, you know, when the club basically said, OK, this is the offer. It's like this. Take it or leave it. You know, at this point, we're not going to pay even more. You haven't proven yourself yet at this level. This is a contract that is structured in a way to help you prove yourself. And then the next contract after that would reflect proven worth versus potential worth. You know, I mean, this is a contract based on potential worth, but that gives him more um, than he has right now, which I think he, he, I'm going to say deserves. And especially if he develops to the degree that he's developed throughout his career. I mean, it's, it's pennies on the dollar at this point. Um, so no, I'm very, very happy to keep someone who has come through the club ranks completely at the club, I think it's very important for a club like Borussia Dortmund, in general for Bundesliga clubs, to have highly talented, quality players that identify with the club at a very personal level. Um, looking at, you know, Marco Reus, probably the best example, or Eden Terzic on the bench is another example, um, and, and people in the front office as well. So it's good. It's good for the player. It's good for the club. I think it's great for the league. Uh, it would have been a shame to see him. I mean, obviously it would have been, it would have been gutting to see him go to Bayern, which I don't really think it necessarily would have happened. Uh, but to see him leave the league that would on a free, that would have been rough. So this is, this was good for everybody. I just also think he would have majorly struggled wherever he would have shown up because look at his game right now. I mean, yes, you can see the talent, but He's still so very raw and there's still so much development to be done uh, that I don't think he would have really uh, fared well, especially had he gone to the Premier League. I just don't think that would have been a good idea at all. So I always thought that Dortmund were not in the weakest position in this negotiation to begin with. 
just because of the actual reality <laughs> that is. But sometimes, uh, you know, a player like Mukoku and his uh, advisors see it differently. You know, sometimes uh, people have other ideas of themselves and uh, what their strengths and uh, their current uh, position is and uh, negotiate from that standpoint. But uh, overall, I think it's uh, just a very good signal for Dortmund that uh, this... Uh, you know, ended in a happy ending, if you will. But um, yeah, there were also some reports from uh, Funke. I think it was that uh, when his um, contract extension was announced in the stadium, that a few people booed. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know who would boo. Like, I'm sorry, he's like, what, 19 years old? Do you really need to boo a 19-year-old because uh, you think he demanded too much money or whatnot? This is sort of the job of the agent. I'm sorry that... Uh, football is a business and has some really ugly sides to it, but uh, I'm not like blaming Mokoku himself for that. You know that can you you can boo his agent, but you know not not at that moment. I don't know. I just I just feel very weird about that. It's stupid. It's kind of like you know. I mean, um, I'm sure it's gonna happen again on the weekend. You know, Yulan Brat's gonna get booed. You know, it's um. And and obviously there are transfers where you can go, oh, well, you know, that really stung. You know, Mario Götze is probably the best <laughs> example of that. Uh, Hummels to a degree, Lewandowski to a degree. But overall, yeah, it's a business. And these players don't know if they're going to blow out both their knees tomorrow and not make another penny off the sport. So I have I have no issues with that. You know, it's the, the agent acts in the best interest of their client, not in the best interest of the club. They're not paid by the club. They're paid by their client. Uh, the club clubs act in the best interest of the club, and you've seen plenty of clubs be pretty ruthless with players. So, yeah, just chill. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, obviously, there are a few more things to talk about in terms of uh, this transfer window, but Matthias, um, I'll be honest, I just don't feel like I can talk much more because... No, it's the, gone. The, we've, the COVID, we've had a long chat. The COVID is taking over a little bit. Uh, I need to hold back my cough just way too much. So, um, as always, uh, everyone out there, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, I'll try to make it back next week. I think I'll be in much better shape and uh, not rambling as idiotically as I was today. But of course, I cannot promise that because who knows what Dom will do in the meantime. Um, but yeah, I had fun talking about Dortmund again and I'm looking forward to despite it all um to uh this um you know final stint of the season I mean I'm looking forward to the Champions League games against uh, Chelsea I'm looking forward to the cup tie against uh, VfL Bochum and um one last thing is I'm not really looking forward to it because what I'm gonna say now is nothing I want to say but um I don't know if you recall, but in the past I've always said that there is probably only ever going to be a true chance for a different German champion in the Bundesliga once Bayern are without Lewandowski and Manuel Neuer. But guess what? One skiing accident and one uh, spectacular move to Barcelona later, here we are. So <laughs> the only team I really see right now that could capitalize is the team coached by Marco Rosa. Unfortunately, that's no longer Borussia Dortmund, but uh, RB Leipzig. So... Um, I just do wonder on the final note, and not because they're just bludgeoning Schalke. I don't know if, what the score is because I haven't. I don't. I don't care. I don't pay attention. But um, Matthias, I do think that this could 
become a more of a title racy season overall in the Bundesliga um, than uh, previously thought. I just do not know if uh, Dortmund will have anything to say about that. Uh, certainly not if they defend like they do against Augsburg. But, um, you know, as a final thought, I just wanted to like hand off to you like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Leipzig are up uh, 4-0 right now after 56 minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the tighter uh, Bundesliga top sevens um, I've seen at this stage. At, I mean, technically, this today or today and tomorrow's match days are the Herbstmeisterschaft. It's the half point, halfway point of the season to be 17th. Um, Bayern, of course, are going to be Herbstmeister. But, you know, as things stand, after 16 match days between first Bayern and seventh Wolfsburg, it's nine points. I mean, we've seen nine points between first and second, uh, let alone first and seventh. So I think it's, it's really, really tight. I think it's also relatively tight at the bottom. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting Bundesliga season. I think we've seen that in quite a few leagues overall, that it's been very, very interesting for the most part. Uh, Italy's no different. England's no different. So yeah, unfortunately, m my concern is that you are not wrong, <laughs> that Leipzig is um, at least this season, the most likely contender to maybe dethrone Bayern. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I'd rather see Bayern win the title a thousand times in a row before Leipzig winning it once. Um, you know, and if it's not Dortmund, then, you know, I would hope it'd be Frankfurt instead. Yep. Um, I was, I'll be honest, I was completely shocked by the Freiburg-Wolfsburg match. That, that absolutely floored me. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, that just, I did not see that coming. Uh, just like I didn't see the Köln Bremen match coming. Um, but, but Freiburg Wolfsburg, that was, that was really like, whoa. And, you know, and that obviously puts the Dortmund Wolfsburg match a little bit into perspective. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely not going to be a boring Bundesliga season. So, you know, no matter how it shakes out in the end, I think we can look forward to an interesting second half of the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the fitter Sebastian Alea becomes, the better Dortmund will become structurally with him. It's just a given fact. And I just do hope they manage to pull off a couple of transfers or whatnot just to strengthen their backline a little bit. And of course, we do need more central defensive midfielders, but I think this is going to be more of an issue for the summer, especially with the looming exit of Drew Bellingham, but uh, nothing I would like to talk about because we're out of time, so goodbye. Uh, thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>